0: Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. So, it is uh, quarter to five in the morning, and I've not been able to sleep since about three. And uh, this podcast is the result. (laughs) So, um, thankfully, I've been kept awake by um, concern and prayer, not so much um, anything negative like anxiety or anger. So I'm very thankful for that first of all. Um but at the same time I also recognize, hmm, if God's waking me up in the middle of the night to pray. Um and I I normally sleep through the night straight. Um <clears throat> sorry for my for my morning voice. Um if God is waking me up in the middle of the night to pray, then it must be something important. And I can tell you that if I hadn't woken up, I would not be recording this podcast, but I need to record this in the context of where I am in my life, so I give it justice. So here we go. Okay, Um. about boundaries. <sighs> okay, I'm thinking of making about boundaries the title of this podcast, but the preface to that is about boundaries in the context of confrontation and conflict. And so without um, explaining the conflict, I can't properly explain the boundaries. So we're going to start at the beginning. It's a podcast, so I'm going to give you a long version. I'm going to start at the very beginning. So I go back to 2015, and I was invited by... um, Two different ministry people to collaborate on some projects, and um, both of these collaborations ended up being private for what will be obvious reasons, um, and both of the projects fell through. That's that's the short version. Um, and this was over the course of months, if not the better part of a year. And so, in in the one context, in, in one situation, there was one big red flag. And it was the kind of thing of, huh, that's... That's not right and I need to address that. And in the other context, with the other ministry leader, it was a series of small things that built up over time. They kind of just ended up giving me a feeling of "Uh, this is off. This is this is not right. This is not good. And for me to confront the first one, I had to think through that single one big red flag, which was exhausting, but it was doable. Unfortunately, for me to confront the second ministry leader, I had to document the history of all the little things that had led up to that point and all the little moments that had made my stomach drop And I was able to, by doing that and writing down the dates and putting that on a, just a single piece of paper, having the history for myself on a single piece of paper, it allowed me to zoom out, see the big picture and see what had gone wrong. And that was the only way that I was able to even understand what was going on. And so... In the course of collaborating with this leader, there were two projects, um, and both of them fell through. Um, For me, anyways, I I resigned from the second one, and the other one didn't pan out. Um, I worked on the one project while knowing all of this history and perspective in the back of my head. And so, in the course of this very intense collaboration my mouth is shut on this specific topic like the Holy Spirit had a big big hand over my mouth and that was his intended grace that was intentional so fast forward months later after that and this is now 2016 And I resigned from the second project, and he asks why, and he schedules a phone call, and we have a phone call, and I'm finally able to gently explain the history and the little milestones of what got us off track. And he told me, first of all, he received the rebuke, Because the Holy Spirit had already whipped his butt. Sorry if that's a little fresh. But the Holy Spirit had already chewed him up and spit him out. So when I gave him the specifics, his heart was ready to receive it. His heart had already been shredded and I literally just needed to say single words very gently. That is a broken and contrite spirit before God. And he had full Repentance. And he told me point blank if you had tried to confront me during our first collaboration before my heart was shredded, I would have completely rejected you and your words. And this experience of having two ministry leaders, one with the big red flag and the other one with this two projects and this slow disintegration of 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 the trust in the working relationship and I mean because he received my feedback I would actually work with him again 100 percent um like and and in hindsight was it exhausting and expensive yes but at the same time he has already done so much for the kingdom of God and his love for Jesus is so strong. And that was before this happened that I consider it an absolute privilege to be a part of his story in this way. And it is such a privilege to be a part of his transformation and sanctification into a more godly man. And he would call me a gracious person because I received his sin And I waited on God and I responded with kindness and grace. And that is exhausting. That is expensive. But that as Christians is what we are called to do with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are listening to this and there is someone who absolutely gets under your skin and drives you up the wall and they don't even realize they're doing it, maybe this is for you. Maybe God has given you the privilege of being in their life to receive their sin and their error with grace and gently and kindly wait for the right time for when God opens your mouth. There's a verse in Ezekiel that says, God made me mute and he tied me up with cords. And then, this is a rough paraphrase and it's at the beginning of the book, so that should help. Um, I think it's, I want to say it's like chapter four. Actually, I have my Bible in front of me. Hang on. Psalms and Proverbs Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah Lamentations Ezekiel Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos Obadiah, Jonah, Micah Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah Haggai, Zephaniah, Malachi That might be wrong at the end, but anyways Okay I would be lost without my Bible book song I'm serious um, okay, yeah, Ezekiel 3, verse 27. But when I speak with you... um, No, okay. Well, let me, let me read that one so you know what it is. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Okay, and the verse before that is, um, okay. Ezekiel three, I'm going to start in verse 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. Really heavy stuff there. And I would also like to point out that the major difference between the righteous man and the sinful man is that the righteous man turns from his sin and the wicked one does not. Let me say that again. The primary difference between the righteous man and the wicked man is that the righteous man turns from his sin. Now, I need, I need to intentionally tangent on this for a second. I live in, I am blessed to live in the comfort and safety and civilization of the South, the Bible Belt. And we have some really, really lovely people here. However, we also have this mindset on occasion that righteousness or being a good person is exhibited by not being tempted to do really bad things. Oh, I'm better than those people because I don't drink or I don't smoke or play cards or I'm not like that lady over there oh, wow, she's so indecent, I'm not like that. Or, uh, I'm just going to say it, folks. The prejudice around here towards trailer trash, it's a thing. And the Holy Spirit wants to rip that out of people's souls. Because, yeah, maybe the folks who live in mobile homes, some of them have bad teeth. Maybe they they have, like, hoarding tendencies, or they've got stuff on their lawn. My porch has looked just the same as the outside of a mobile home, so there is no judgment from me. I have an entire playlist on YouTube about the clutter and junk in my apartment when I was single, and that clutter and junk is down to a single stack of boxes by some miracle of God, mostly that he's giving me enough healing and confidence that I can purge my stuff. But anyways, the South has this idea that being a good person means that you're not tempted to sin, or you don't struggle with this or with that. And I am here to say that this verse, the where... <laughs> Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. This verse and the context of it is clearly saying to me that righteousness is not about whether you sin, whether you have or have not sinned. And righteousness is not about, you know, are you tempted to do this? And how often are you tempted to do this? And how often are you tempted to lust about this? Like, Seriously, I'm tempted with lust all the freaking time, okay? And it doesn't look like a magazine or a thing. It looks like letting myself get distracted. It looks like not being content with my husband, not being content with my marriage. I have to fight that all the time. And I say that knowing that my husband and I are couple goals for a lot of our friends on the internet. So... I'm being very real with you here. For me, the definition of righteousness that I stand by is how quickly do you run away from temptation? Let me say that again. My definition of righteousness, the definition of righteousness that I see in Ezekiel 3 is do you turn away from temptation? And how quickly do you run from temptation? Scripture says the enemy is like a prowling lion seeking who he can devour. Are you going to play with that? Do you really want to put coals of fire in your lap and think you're not going to get burned? Referencing Proverbs here. And like all the passages on like infidelity. and, And like, you know... If you're uniting yourself with the prostitute, like, you're sinning before God. Like, forget if you're married or not married. You're sinning before God. Like, okay. So I appreciate that we've had that tangent. Let's get back to Ezekiel 3. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. (laughs) (sighs) That is like super intimidating, not going to lie. So I rose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chibar, referencing chapter one, and the wheels of fire. And I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, go shut yourself inside your house. And you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them, so that you cannot go out among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who hears, let him hear. And he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. That is New King James Version, for those who would like to know. Now, so in the case, going back to these two collaborations, and these two ministries that didn't work out, this one heard me and he received my words with thankfulness and and appreciation and joy and he's a changed man because of that. I have no doubt he is he is like he is still being blessed because of my obedience to be patient and wait while I was mute and speak when I was told to speak. That's a good thing. And the really interesting part is that until I explained all of those things to him, he truly was unaware of how he had destroyed our working relationship. He was unaware. And so if you're watching other people around you and you're thinking, oh, maybe they they must know such and such, or surely they realize that they're doing X, well, May I kindly suggest that maybe they don't know their right hand from their left to reference the book of judges which is like the extreme examples of all the things that go wrong people don't know their right hand from their left so have compassion because we're human and we're freaking clueless <laughs> god this is why god is so slow to anger this is why he is so patient with his children because he sees the heart and he sees the he sees our he sees the genuine love for him that we have inside our hearts. And he is patient with our selfishness and our babysitting on our poopy diaper ness. And he's 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 slow to anger because of his love for us. And he rejoices in our genuine love for him, even in the context of our own selfishness. And that That is a testimony to God. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Heaven is going to be amazing, and we're all just going to be in, in such thankfulness that we're even there. Because... If Isaiah's response to God's holiness is any indication, and he was a righteous man among his people, he wrote 60 plus books of the Bible. He is one of the most, he is extremely referenced in the Gospels. So God trusted Isaiah. Let's get that context straight. But if Isaiah, in his relative righteousness compared to others, stood before God's holiness and said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Then we're all going to be in heaven like, dude, can you believe we're even here? Like, this is amazing. It's going to be great. I'm so stoked. And it's coming soon. It really is. This life is so short. Even, in, even the long lives are still short. Moses says in Psalm 90, you know, what is like 70 or 80 years, maybe even 90 if you're lucky, but sorrow and toil, and then it passes like a vapor. Meg, memory paraphrase version, but anyways. So, so I've explained the, the one situation where he received my words with joy and thankfulness, and he changed. And let's pan over to the other situation where I sent there was this one red flag and it took me a while to process it and there was a there was an email thread and it sat in my inbox and it sat in my inbox and uh, (laughs) excuse me Ben actually helped me write the email that I ended up sending and uh, weeks maybe even like two three months later I finally hit the reply all button And there was one phrase in that email that was a little bit not not a misspoken, but like it was a word that wasn't helpful, and it was just like, eh, okay. And, and not not it was it was it was saying something was that was was it was me saying that something was political when it was more social. So it wasn't offensive. It was literally just. The single weak point in my argument. And in the re- reply to my email, which was not sent reply all, it was sent only to me. The writer latched on to that one weak point in my email like it was a piece of wood in a from a shipwreck. In the middle of the ocean. There was no softness of heart. There was no receiving the gentle, thoughtful, serious, sincere rebuke. And I distanced myself from that person. Because there was no way for me to maintain relationship or friendship or trust with them. And um, that's, that's biblical. The issue that I was confronting that person on was spreading the lies of homosexuality that there is a place for... (sighs) There is a place in the church for accepting the struggles of same-sex attraction. But there is no place in the body of Christ for someone who chooses to identify with their same-sex attraction to the point that they make it their identity. And they want that identity more than they want the goodness of God. More than they want the holiness of Christ. The writer was Kevin Garcia. And you can find him on Twitter. And... He is a very inspiring person to the hashtag FaithfullyLGBTQ community. And he has some really cute product that has mountains of poopy lies on them. And it tears me up. It tears me up to see young women. I'm thinking of a specific Twitter account right now who has unfollowed me and has retweeted them and him and ordered his product. It tears me up to think of that young woman and the lies that she's swallowing. Like... She is swallowing garbage poopy lies, and she needs to vomit them out if she is going to be holy and whole. And I truly care about her, and I want her to be holy and heal and find confidence and joy and fulfillment and create the way that God intended her to. But it's not going to happen while she's swallowing that load of garbage, So this confrontation was about Kevin Miguel Garcia's lies. And it was not received. And that was really sad. But I also prayed about it enough to know that that rejection was not personal. Elsewhere in Ezekiel it says, You know, I will give you a forehead of Flint. Do not be afraid of them and their words, for they are a rebellious house. And that was the beginning of me not being afraid of people, not hearing or receiving what I knew God had put on my heart to say to them. Because these two events took place side by side over the course of months, it was very clear to me that God was teaching me about confrontation, specifically in the context of a male ministry leader. And because the one received the confrontation well and the other one did not receive it well, further gave me peace that I was not responsible for the result. And if we look at Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel the watchman is not responsible for making people turn from their sin. He's only responsible for speaking. He is not responsible for the end result. And that has given me so much comfort and peace. Now, there is a phrase that... To switch gears a little bit, there's a phrase that has been used on occasion... And um, my mom has since retired this phrase, but I heard it from her um, a number of years back, so thankfully this is well in the past. And she and I were having conflict, and um, I've often struggled with confronting her because um, my personality type is very agreeable. So it's easier for me to be passive-aggressive than it is for me to be honest and forthright. And I have to be very intentional about that. So, and, it, and with my mom, it's always been very, very difficult for me to confront her because of a number of reasons. Just our personality types, the way that we're made, and God did that on purpose, so that's, that's a good thing. It's been a good learning experience for both of us. So, this phrase, don't let the devil get a foothold. Don't let the enemy win. that phrase came out of her mouth at least once or a couple times and it was used with the intention of with the intended meaning of if we don't have harmony because we're we're biological family we're family in Christ if we don't have harmony between each other then the enemy is going to win so you should, you should just agree with me And we should force ourselves to have harmony. I remember hearing that phrase and being absolutely livid. Absolutely livid. Because my mother had deflected my ability to um, have a healthy confrontation with that phrase. And Now I'm farther along in maturity and she's farther along in maturity and that's not part of our dialogue anymore and we're able to work things out and I'm able to be forthright about problems and she's able to be forthright about things I do and we're good we're good we've we've made wonderful progress so um but this phrase don't let the enemy win i would like to redefine that because in my mind letting the enemy win looks like harboring hatred, bitterness, anger, jealousy in my own heart towards anyone. And then stifling the work of the Holy Spirit in my life because of it. That's what it looks like to me to let the devil win. I'm not responsible for the enemy winning in someone else's heart. And what you need to understand is that when the one ministry leader did not receive my words, he was the one who broke relationship with me. I sent that email in order to maintain my relationship with him because if I had not said that, if I had not sent that email of confrontation, I would have been lying in my silence. Think about that. If you're an agreeable person and you hate confronting people, you need to open your mind to the possibility that not confronting someone and pretending things are are okay, you are lying because of your silence. And God takes lying very seriously. If that makes you sick to your stomach right now, and you're feeling huge anxiety about a relationship that is just like pressing in on your brain, and the anxiety is coming down with a thousand pounds right now, I just want you to know it is okay. You don't have to do this all at once. You know, these confrontations span the course of months, and there were many days that were normal and chill and my poor best friend had to listen to me rant and process as I obsessed over these things because I was not on vitamins at the time and my OCD was very strong still. And so yeah, there's, there's a process that you go through in order to be able to speak these things. And I'm recording this to let you know that it's okay and God's got you and he loves you and he loves your love for him And he loves your genuine love for the other person that has motivated your silence. But this is also the Holy Spirit telling you that your silence is not loving. And he's calling you to a higher standard. And you're going to do fine. You're going to do great. And I can't wait to get to the other side and see you and smile and hug and you tell me about the thing. Or we just make eye contact. We all know about it at once. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but we'll find out when we get there. And um, and also, I would just like to say, thank you for listening to this podcast and allowing me to be a part of your life. That is a huge, huge honor. Like You are let, uh, letting me have time and space and real estate in your brain and your heart and your emotions. And I don't take that for granted. I don't take that for, I don't take that lightly. That is a huge responsibility to me. And I pray that God guides my words. And anything I say on these podcasts that isn't of Him, He would make it just fade away. And because, I mean, it's a podcast. It's, it's, it's on the internet for as long as it's going to be there. That's kind of intimidating. But I just want you to know it's okay. And God's got you. And God's got this entire situation. In fact, I would go a step further to say in faith... And comfort. God has intentionally orchestrated the situation that you are in right now so that you would learn the skill of how to lovingly confront. And some of you listening will learn, will confront and see the relationship restored. And some of you listening already know that when you confront, the relationship will be destroyed. And I want you to know that the destruction of unhealthy friendships is a glory to God. And that is something to rejoice in. That is something to look up to heaven and And envision seeing your Heavenly Father. And if you're standing in the midst of confusion, you don't know what's going on, you don't know how to rectify things, just look at your Heavenly Father and remember that He has said His people, us, His children, we will be satisfied by His goodness. Not His gifts, not not stuff that He blesses us with, Not that amazing find we find at the thrift store, which is the grace of God, but his goodness. Anything he gives us extra from that is just overflow. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And all these things, quote-unquote, is very much dependent on what he thinks we need, which is really hard for those who are infertile or single for many years. And both of those situations are excruciatingly painful. But his goodness is still good. And we can trust that we will be satisfied in it. So I want to take a minute to talk about boundaries. Boundaries are good. Boundaries are like having a door on your house. And... I remember at one point, when I was living in Florida, I was walking outside and somehow my door came unlatched and when I came back to my house and I opened my door, there was a cat, a stray cat that I had never seen before in my life that came running out of my apartment. and knew darn well it shouldn't have been there. And I was very glad to shut and lock my door once it was out and I was inside. So it's important to have doors. Now, some doors are some doors are thick metal with no windows and multiple deadbolts on them. There are doors like that. But there are also screen doors where You know They've got that little rim and they've got the the screen so the air can come in and you can hear what's going on in the neighborhood and you can talk to your neighbor outside, but you still have that boundary so that they can't really come in and make themselves at home, but you can still have a conversation. And it keeps the flies out, both practically and metaphorically. It keeps the flies out. But then there's also doors that have... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're big front doors and they're strong and they're thick wood and they've got like a little half circle of window at the top so it'll let a little light in and it's got a peephole in it so you can see through and see who's on the other side um, but you don't have to open the door to see who's on the other side you can know that they're there and not interact with them and the little half moon will let light in So there are boundaries like that, and then there's also boundaries that are kind of like um, a half door. So we have this in our nursery, where there's a lower part of the door that opens and closes, and there's a little um, kind of a ledge on it where you can lean on it, and you can set your Bible, and you know, you can... Lift up a child and hand it to its parent and hi, honey, how are you? How is Sunday school? But at the same time, the door is still shut and latched, and you know the babies in their own strength they, they can't get out, and so the the half door keeps them inside but also if if the children need to focus and there's a lot going on or there's a science class across the hall, you can shut the upper part of the door and then you can have more privacy and more focus on the inside. So there are boundaries like that. And then there are doors, they're kind of a little bit of in-between, where um, instead of the screen door, it's a glass door. So you've got that metal rim on the outside, and then you've got a big piece of glass, and so you can see outside, you can hold a conversation, um, but it doesn't let the air in. It doesn't let the temperature in. It certainly doesn't let in the flies. And you can also keep it locked. And the screen door, you know, a screen door is is a boundary that's easy to break through. Somebody could take a pocket knife and just rip through the thing and walk into the house. Whereas a glass door, you know, you've got to take a bit of a harder object to it to break down that boundary. So, But the glass door will also let the light in. You can see what's going on. There's more awareness. So there are boundaries like that. And in different relationships, you have to choose what are your different boundaries. And so, there are friendships that I have lost where we've reconciled, but I sinned against her, and afterwards she shut the door. And that door is a metal door, and it's not coming unlocked, and that's okay, and I respect that. There's a relationship in my own life where... They, she, they have reconciled with me, and the door is wooden, and there's a half circle of windows, so I can see the light that's coming in, and I can see the people, but the door is shut, and the door is, is, it's a higher boundary. It used to be a metal door, and now it's, now it's a wood door with, with an upper window, because I don't want conversation, and I don't want interaction still. Are we reconciled? Yes. Are, are we Am I am I open to a cordial surface relationship? Yes. But not intimacy. Not vulnerability. Not extended conversation. Used to that friendship I I can't even call it a friendship. Used to that interaction had a screen door. And I did everything I could to make there be a relationship but I couldn't and so now there's a wood door so I hope visualizing that helps you Um, it certainly helped me and it definitely makes me want to paint Um, I'm I'm very excited to paint so I, I have to clean my desk off but we will get there my art desk. So, the next thing I need to talk about is another set of relationships. Over the course of this podcast, I have talked about my mom a lot. And I've been extremely vulnerable about our relationship to the point where I, I question if I need to go back and re-listen to some of those podcasts and take them down. But I, I am recording this podcast, whether I take those down or not, I'm, I'm going to include in this podcast the resolution that has come about in our relationship And this is huge, honestly. This is is part of why God made me her daughter. And that gives me such joy. So, I have shared on occasion that our relationship was codependent. My mom looked to me for emotional support. Me and my agreeableness, I learned to give flattery. I felt that I owed other people emotional support and flattery. And I've had to learn to spit that out of my mouth and not do it. And our relationship was got more and more difficult the more and more I got older and especially as I became more mature. Um, when I left home, I, I found myself looking for older women who could tell me how to live my life because that was what felt normal to me. That was what felt safe. And I found women who were like that. and. I also had friend breakups with those women when I grew out of that layer of, when I grew out of that level of dominance and codependency. And with my mom, I, I couldn't break up with my mom. And I also didn't know how to communicate the things that were not right, just because I didn't have the wherewithal or the ability to confront her. It wasn't that I knew things. It wasn't that I didn't want to confront her. I didn't know how. And I was too busy just trying to... By the time I was getting to be mature enough, I was too busy trying to survive and not die in the summer of 2016 that I didn't have the wherewithal to confront her, and also she was the one who was helping me to stay alive. She was the one who got me the medical resources and paid for them out of pocket, much in part to her own father's hard work and inheritance. So we are not a rich family, but we we have worked very, very hard... And we're incredibly blessed. And it's by the grace of God that my mom had the resources to give me help. I've never been on medication a day in my life. And my mental health problems are profoundly better. Because I am getting vitamin-specific treatment for me. For... You know, the the enzymes that work, I could go on and on. The enzymes that work, the enzymes that don't work. Everything is related, everything is beautiful, and there's so many ways in which our bodies are broken. And I cannot wait to see us all on either side, because it's going to be beautiful, and we're all going to have the energy of a five-year-old boy, and it's going to be great. Five-year-old girl too, but anyways... So my mom and I were planning a wedding, my wedding, and we, we survived. (laughs) We were both holding on for dear life because it was, it was just hard. I was so exhausted and burned out and, um, you know, my mom had a lot going on in her own life, with her own health that she was figuring out. Um, She's still, just like this past week or so, she made huge progress figuring out her histamine problem. Um, So she and I have both been in this journey. Like she was rescuing me, but she nearly went down trying to help me. So (sighs) we've been through it. That's what you need to know. We've been through it. And so there, there are things, because of both our health issues and our shared childhood, or my childhood with her as my mother, our shared experiences, there are things that I know about her that no one else knows, or it would be very difficult for anyone to recognize and find out. And so, two weeks after the wedding, I was so angry I couldn't sleep. And I may have talked about this before, but I'm repeating it again for those who are new or those who haven't who've forgotten. Just if you remember, bear with me. I was so angry I couldn't sleep. Now, when I'm so angry at someone that I cannot sleep and I want to perform physical violence against them, that is a warning sign. That is that is big flashing lights telling me something is wrong and I need to figure out what it is and I need to figure out what boundaries are appropriate in the situation so that I can function so that I do not kill someone like that verse in Matthew whoever tells their brother Raka go to hell you are worthless that verse is The warning in that verse is very, very real to me. So I do not trifle with, when I feel angry like that, I don't mess around. I get before God and I say, you have to help me. You have to show me what to do because I'm so angry I can't think straight right now. And I had to block my mother's phone number for over a year. I did call her on Thanksgiving at one point. But for the most part, I did not speak to her. Because I was too angry and I truly could not have done it with love. That was the right decision. And there came a point in 2018 where I'd written... I'd I'd written in my Google Docs. I drafted this letter digitally, and I started to document. Okay, this is why this hurt, and that's why that hurt, and all these things accumulated, and they they had this effect. And I I rewrote that a, a few times, and the Holy Spirit finally told me, "You need to send her that letter." and it was not easy to do but i handwrote the entire thing it was about 16 pages and i still remember the moment i put it in the mail um and i texted her to let her know that there was a letter of confrontation that was coming and we'd already started to talk at this point i i'd actually um started playing the piano before this and I sent her um, a recording of me playing one of her songs. Holy Love. And I had begun to feel affection for my mother again and I didn't think that I would ever feel that ever again. I... I truly questioned if I was ever going to have a relationship with her ever again. That was the level that my boundary needed to be at in order for me to heal, in order for me to process and think clearly. If you cannot think clearly, you cannot confront someone graciously or calmly and even if you confront someone and you need to be abrasive or harsh to get their attention you still need to maintain focus and and awareness of the most important priorities in my family you didn't get attention unless you were loud about it and so it made it very very hard for me being an agreeable person to get what I needed. I learned I had to be abrasive. And my husband has been very gracious and patient with me, learning to not yell and raise my voice. And I've spoken about this in other podcasts, but I had to learn to make my awareness of yelling a lower volume than what it was. and I don't remember what episode that was, but it was before this one. So it's 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 back there. You can find it I have faith in you. <sighs> actually, I, th- I want to say it was in the past 4 months, so there's that. And it was the one where we talked about yeah. It was one it was the one where I had conflict with him actually. It's so great. Anyways. So in some families and in some circumstances, you need to be harsh and abrasive because that's the volume level that registers with those people. And, and yelling in that context does not necessarily have to be sin. That does not make it sin. You know, What is your motive for yelling? Or is it because you care about the other person or is it because you want your own way? If I walk up to someone and I shove them, is that loving? No. But if I walk up to someone and I shove them to get them out of the way of an oncoming bus, that's a completely different context. And credit to a YouTube therapist whose name I forget for giving me that example about boundaries. Or, it wasn't boundaries, but it was the other video I watched next to the boundary one. I don't know. It's about context, it's about motivation. So I have on occasion been judged for confronting in written form. And not gonna lie, that's been pretty excruciating. Um But there's also a passage about that that I would like to share with you. (sighs) I'm trying to find my place. Okay, I think I'm going to get a running start. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and the verse is at the beginning of 10. So Second Corinthians chapter 9, um, yeah, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to to you ahead of time, and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency, sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies bread, seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence am lowly among you, but being absent, am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold, with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, the context of this verse in the middle that I want to reference is important, but at the same time, I don't fully understand it. So when I do understand it, I'll get back to you and I'll let you know and I'll make a podcast about that. But I record the entire thing to share this. Paul was intentional about confronting the second Corinthians, confronting the Corinthians in his second letter to them. But when he was with him in person, he was more gentle. And so people called him out for that. Like, why are, why are you always so abrasive in your letters, but you're, you know, you're like, you're pushover in person. And it's because he knew that it was better for him to be abrasive in, and stern in his letters so that he could be gentle in person. So that his gentleness could provide context for his rebuke. There is no right or wrong way to give a confrontation. It is very much dependent on the circumstance. What is God telling you to do in that scenario? There are those who say that confrontations should only be done in person. And I must disagree with them respectfully. I've had, I have successfully been confronted via text message. Now, granted, our relationship was text-based, but that was appropriate. That was successful within the context of that relationship. I have sent that email that was not well-received. That was appropriate within that context, within that relationship. And so, if you are thinking that confrontation needs to be this in-person thing or a phone call... Yes, that would be ideal. But at the same time, there are places where the relationship is not healthy enough for that to be successful. And it's been observed that when you write a letter to someone, you can say things and you're not interrupted. And in some relationships, that is what is necessary. So I share this to say if you need to confront someone, and the only means you can do you can think to do it is through Snapchat for all you know. Actually, Snapchat, images with text is a very effective form of communication because you have the black and white meaning of the text in the context of the visual expression on your face. So use Snapchat to confront someone. It's fine. That that might be the best thing for that relationship. <sighs> this is really heavy on my heart. And I know that if you've gotten this far in this podcast, that God is going to... If you're not thinking of a relationship right now that needs confrontation, you're going to have one within the next three days. <laughs> and so... My heart is heavy for you for that because this is hard. This is, this is painful, but this is, this is love. Love is hard. Love is painful. Love is sacrificial. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If this podcast has given you something to think about, something you need to work through and process, I would encourage you to click the link in the description, inverestream.com slash podcast slash confronting-leaders. There will be a web form there that will connect you with a spiritual mentor. This is not a professional counselor, simply a Christian who wants to encourage you and walk with you in whatever situation you find yourself in. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Meg. I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Go and live it.